You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God, mind control, the last days, higher dimensions, unity, the power of faith, discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God to equip you with faith, in Jesus Christ and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com and www.thefireplacechurch.org. Folks, I want to continue to encourage you. We are having an amazing time at the Fireplace Church and we have built this platform for you to allow you to engage in community and open dialogue with open-minded believers just like you. Um, Every Friday and Sunday night at 7 p.m., you know, we are awaiting you. And this is a warm seat of welcome, right in your own house or car or wherever you want to pull up a listening device and join us. Um, We just had two weeks with Dr. C.R. Oliver, which were amazing. Just, uh, you know, we are really doing our best to put forth teaching and even bring in guest teachers that is going to equip, empower, motivate, and graduate you to new levels at the Fireplace Church. So with that said, folks, there's a lot of exciting things coming up. And, and again, like I said a couple of weeks ago, these opening segments are about to be cut real short. Um, one, in November, November 4th through the 6th, I'm going to be at Global Fire Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Their website, www.globalfireministries.com. Myself and Jeff Jansen are going to be hosting the Dimensions of Glory and Kingdom Warfare School. That's $50 per person, $75 per couple. If you happen to be in the area, that, that conference is going to be Friday. It's going to be Saturday and conclude Sunday morning. We want to invite you to come. Uh, it, it's 
going to be an amazing time of impartation, a lot of teaching, and, and it's going to be coming from different angles. We're going to be hitting dimensions. We're going to be hitting glory. We're going to be hitting God's kingdom. And of course, tying into that conversation, the spiritual warfare component, bringing a very complete uh, presentation. I am really looking forward to this, and it's there for you. Also, we are also going to start next week our next round of discipleship. If you haven't signed up, sign up now. You only have a couple days left. Uh, this weekend, we're going to be doing the Advanced Spiritual Warfare Number 1 Conference for the second time. Really looking forward to meeting all of you that are going to be sitting in there. We're going to have a great, great time. And if you want to take part in Advanced Spiritual Warfare Number 1 or Number 2, as I articulate these other ones, Number 3, whatever, you are going to have to graduate from at least one of our discipleship courses. Also, if you ever want to be one of our moderators at the Fireplace Church, you're going to have to graduate from at least one of our discipleship courses first, and then we will consider you know, having you join us as a group moderator. Of course, there'll be a couple of other things we'll be looking for if you are going to want to volunteer for that. But, you know, really, the open door into any kind of thing that Bride Ministries is going to be doing uh, right now is based on that that, that prerequisite, that, that you have participated in one of our discipleship courses. That way, someone that is on board with Bride Ministries, whether it's myself or Nikki or Darla, now Sally, you know, um, are, are, we're going to get a chance to meet you. And so, you know, folks really want to encourage those of you that have been on the fence about discipleship. Look, not only is it going to bless your life in a, in a very awesome way, it's going to open doors. So with that said, this week, we're going to be having a bit of a different direction. We're going to be talking about divorce. We're going to be talking about remarriage. We're going to be talking about some of these subjects because, you know what, the, the, the fact of the matter is in the body of Christ, about one in two marriages is ending in divorce. And, and that means that half of you that are married, listening to this, um, will either uh, go through divorce, and you're definitely going to know someone that's been through divorce. I mean, it's just, it's just, there's a lot of conversation here to be had. And there's also a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of things that go on in this area. And, and, and especially because there are so many survivors that listen to this program. And there's a whole component of the question, did God put... This marriage together, I'm married to my handler. That situation, um, we're going to be getting into that as well. And what does the Bible have to say? And so it's a very important conversation to have. It's really a huge part of life, whether you believe that you know UFOs need to be prayed down out of the sky or not. And so we're going to be getting to our guest, Tim Tyler, who's going to join me to talk about it in just a minute. Before we do, let me just tell you, thank you for those of you that are financially supporting us. We are continuing to do everything that we can with the budget that we have. Um, I want to encourage those of you that have not gotten on board with us financially. There is so much work to do. Folks, we want to build an entire DID coaching school. That is going to happen. But you know what? Right now, we don't have the budget to do it. I mean, so it's all in God's time, but we're working on preliminary steps. We're just believing God for the provision. I want to encourage you, if you have bought into the vision of Bride Ministries, what we are trying to do in all the different areas we are expanding in. BrideMovement.com and TheFireplaceChurch.org, you'll find donate buttons there, and you can bless us. Also, you can write to us at P.O. Box 362, Nash, Texas, 75569. With that said, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
discovering the truth with Dan Duvall. And folks, this week we're going to be getting into it on a subject that to date we have never really tackled head on during an episode of Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. That's the subject of divorce and remarriage. Now, why are you talking about divorce and remarriage on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall? Don't you guys talk about some other crazy stuff? Yeah, well, you know what's pretty crazy? Going through divorce. And a lot of you are either going through it or have gone through it or are trying to figure out how or if to go through it or how to find redemption in the area of marriage. And as a ministry that reaches out to a lot of survivors of satanic ritual abuse and and other kinds of situations, what we have found is that uh, there are a lot of people who have found themselves in marriages that have not been put together by God, literally marriages to handlers and abusers. And they're asking the questions, if I divorce this person, will God hate me? How do I escape the situation? There's a lot of questions that come around this subject, making it extremely relevant. And I, I feel like uh, this this subject has to be discussed. And, you know, folks, the reality is divorce touches a lot of people. And I'm going to give you guys a newsflash. Many of those that are closer to this ministry or know me personally know what I'm about to say. But many of you that just listen casually do not know this yet. But I am actually divorced. Um, and I've been through it. And so, you know, a lot of people think I don't really go through much stuff and I don't know why. Um, Yeah, I've been through divorce and it's a tough journey to walk, especially when you're a child of God. And there's plenty of people standing in line to condemn you whether or not, you know, you you are actually doing anything wrong. Um, In my case, my wife walked out on our marriage and uh, that was a difficult journey to take now. I'm divorced. Well, what does God's word really say about divorce? And in order to get into the subject, I've invited onto my program senior pastor, Reverend Tim Tyler, who pastors Christ Community Church. Now, this is a group out of Michigan. Their website is www.c3roseville.org. And I am going to be getting into it with him because he had put out this CD set on the subject of divorce simply called God's Word on Divorce. And you're about to find out why uh, this is one of the most liberating uh, presentations of this subject I have ever heard. So, Tim, welcome to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Uh, Thank you, Dan. Glad to be here with you. Tim, I'm really excited to have you on the program and to discuss this subject because this is really um, a a tough area for us as Christians to touch. On on one hand, you have groups that are extremely legalistic about divorce, extending to the point that um, you cannot minister, uh, you are basically a pariah if you have been through divorce. And on, on the other side, of course, there's people that have three, four, five, six divorces, and it's it's just like, okay. And, um, you know, oftentimes people don't even know what a middle ground looks like or how to reconcile what the word of God really has to say on this subject. But I, um, 
I was just blown away by your teaching, and I think the best place to begin is is here. Uh, what does the law, as in Torah, say about divorce, and how did this kind of springboard you into a, a, a deeper study on the subject? All right, Dan. Well, let, let me just share a few things as we get into this uh, that helps uh, align some of the statements you just made. Uh, what I want to share with you is what the Word of God says on divorce. And so this is not uh, going to be a teaching that gives permission for divorce or excuse for leaving your marriage. Every divorce is unique, and every situation is unique. So like you said, there are those who abuse uh, their liberty in Christ or, or the issue of divorce. There are those who are under its condemnation. So each marriage divorce situation is unique unto itself. So, and I'm not, we can't address everybody's individual uh, relationship uh, problem. Uh, so what I am going to share is what does the Word of God say, and then everybody must become accountable to the Word. Um, does that make sense? And so that we're not creating uh, opportunity for people to make up their own uh, reasoning. We have to go to the Word for it. So I say that first. Secondly, um, my teaching on divorce is not to give people permission to divorce, because with Christ all things are possible. God wants to save marriages, but they do fail. That's a reality. So what does God do with that? Um, I've been pastoring for 25 years now. This is our 25th year, and marriage and divorce has been key. It's really key to any pastor um, because in his church, uh, he's got marriages that succeed and marriages that fail. And as a pastor, you're trying to figure out, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do with this? Where do I stand on this issue of marriage and divorce? I've got people here divorced. Or how do they relate to the church? Uh, uh, what do we do with them? Uh, how do I minister to them? They're brokenhearted. So um, I really had to dig deep and find out what does the Word of God say on it. And so through this, I've developed a marriage school, Marriage Covenant Institute, that I've run for 15 years. And I'm saying all of this as a, a preamble to what I want to get into, is because some people think that if we have stronger divorce laws and stronger issues that make it harder for people to get divorced, then we'll eliminate divorce. That's not the case at all. The problem isn't that we need stronger divorce decrees. The, the problem is the church is not teaching people how to be married and how to live in covenant. The key is covenant, living in covenant. And and so we need to instruct people the beauty of covenant, God's plan for covenant. And so if the church wants to succeed in in having less divorces, it needs to teach how to be married. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So um, I say all of that because, again, I don't want people to walk away from this thinking that uh, they're, they're getting a permission to go ahead and just divorce their spouse because they're fed up. Uh, but let's see what the Word of God says and harmonize it. This is the key issue between the law in the Old Testament and what Jesus says concerning divorce in the New Testament. I mean, we really don't have a lot, do we, in the New Testament concerning the issue of divorce. We've got a couple portions of Scripture and uh, in Matthew and in Matthew 19. So how do we harmonize what Jesus said to the Old Testament law? 
And what I've come to realize is that um, in the law, God allowed for divorce for the sake of the victim of a broken covenant. Uh, so that they don't remain in an abusive situation. God is a good God. God is a redemptive God. And God always cares for the victim. And so that's the point of divorce. It's not so that you can uh, uh, have one partner and go to another and get rid of, you know, there was quite an abuse in Israel over that issue. So let's go to the law, okay? So let's go to Deuteronomy 24. And uh, let's see what the law of God says. Now, Paul tells us that the law of God is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was never any fault in the law. So we know that. The law is not faulty. You'd agree with me on that, right? Oh, yes. Okay. I don't want to over-talk you, Dan. <laughs> well, your no, show. brother. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of letting you kind of walk us into this thing. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So we, uh, we first have to remember that Paul tells us the law is good. Uh, if there's any fault, it's in human flesh. It's, it's in, in the sinful nature. So we know the law is good. The law is, in fact, a mirror of God's holiness. It's a mirror of his character and uh, who he is in nature, and that's what the law reflects. That's why no man can live up to it, because it's God's nature. That's why Jesus died removing the sin barrier so he could put his nature in us, so that we could then be holy as he is holy. So the law was just that holy representation of his nature. So uh, we value the law. So what does the law say about divorce? We go to Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it to you. When a man has taken a wife, and I'm using the King James today. Uh, I'm not a King James-only guy. Uh, I do believe in multiple translations. They're good. They're valuable. But in the English translations, the King James is the one that actually correctly translates the proper words concerning this issue of divorce, and I'll explain it a little further later. All right, Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. When a man has taken a wife and married her, and it comes to pass that she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, give it to her in hand, and send her out of his house. And when she's departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. So there is a very specific procedure according to the law of how a man is to divorce his wife or a wife divorce husband. The issue here is that you need to remember there were, you know, they didn't go to the local court of law to make this happen. It, it happened in communities and in towns, household to household, that they didn't have a law court over. Uh, later, they developed uh, the elders of the town to oversee these things. But here's the specific procedure, and it's important we understand that. Number one is he has to find a reason for the divorce there must be some uncleanness in her. And, and that's kind of vague, that, that uncleanness. Jesus uses the word pornea in the New Testament. It's some kind of um, sexual immorality which could encompass lewdness. Um, it could encompass adultery. It could be many different forms. Fornicia uh, or pornea is a wide-ranging word for sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. So he's got to find some uncleanness in her. So there needs to be a a reason. 
Second, so that's the cause. Then he has a three-part process. Number one, he's to write a bill of divorcement. This is a document. This is a paper. Uh, in Jewish society, it's called a get, G-E-T-T, a get. And so this is the bill of divorcement that she is able to have. He secondly is supposed to give it to her. Now, that's important. We're going to see why in a few minutes. But she's supposed to have that bill of divorcement in her hand as evidence and proof that she was divorced. Then last of all, he's to put her away, to send her out of the house. Okay. Now, these are specific Greek words. The bill of divorcement, or the get, is kerithuth, uh, and the physical... Uh, act of putting her out of the house is shalak. It means to put away. And uh, in our English translations in the New Testament, they interchange those words as simply divorce. Yeah, but they that, do. The, yeah, and, and that doesn't mean divorce. Putting away does not mean the bill of divorcement. That is the point that you brought up in your teaching. Tim, it's really not been understood by the body of Christ at all. And, and this is where you really begin to rack your brain as a theologian. If you are reading a translation where there is no, you know, synchronicity or consistency in translation of terms. Here, you see that the woman, after being divorced by her husband, can go be another man's wife. But yeah. then there's a passage in the New Testament where Jesus says, well, anyone who takes the woman who's been put away commits adultery. As if right. to say, you know, in some people's thinking, any woman that's divorced can't remarry, period. Good luck. You know, you, you married a husband that beat the snot out of you and mm -hmm. did horrible things to your children and you got away from him. Good luck. You can't go anywhere else. And it's like, well, but why does the law say something different? It, I mean, it, it is, it's, really, it's really tough. Yeah, you know, Dan, it, it amazes me because we do our grammatical, historical uh, in studies in hermeneutics into word studies and meanings for uh, Jewish culture and history and all sorts of areas, but in the area of divorce, it, it lacks so much teaching and depth of understanding between the Old Testament and New. And the Church, I think, has really failed in its proper exegesis of Jesus' statement in Matthew 19. It, when we go through this study and you begin to see the harmony between what Jesus said and the, the law concerning marriage, it makes complete sense. Look, when, if, if a woman is simply cast out of the home or put out, put away, without the bill of divorcement, she's still married to the guy. So when Jesus says, if you marry someone who is put away, and that's the word in the proper translation, not divorced, but put away, of course you'd be committing adultery. She's still married to the other guy, because she doesn't have the bill of divorcement. Now, this is a problem still today in Jewish society, and I'd encourage you know people to look it up. Uh, just Google it. Go on the internet. Look up the word "get" G E T T. It's the bill of divorcement. And 
rabbis are still having this problem in Israel today where there are men who are putting their wives away but not giving them the bill of divorcement, the get, and uh, they're called, uh, women. these women in Hebrew are called aguena, A-G-U-N-A-H. In other words, they're chained women. Um, so another man cannot marry them because they're still married to their husband. And uh, in fact, there was a, there's a, a movie called uh, The Trial of Vivian Amsalom. It's won a lot of awards, and it's all about the get. It's about this problem, which is exactly what Jesus was dealing with. So, so the the crux of the matter is understanding, as, as far as I understand what you're saying, understanding the difference between a bill of divorce or carithuth and putting away or shalak. Yes, that's key. Here's why, mm-hmm. and and God did this. Uh, God does everything orderly and with justice. So for this woman, if her husband simply kicks her out, I'm done with you, I don't want you in the house anymore, doesn't give her a bill of divorcement, she couldn't go down to McDonald's and get a job. You know, in that culture, a woman didn't go out and get work. So if she's cast out of the house and not given a bill of divorcement, where's she going to go? For her to live, for her to exist, she either needs to get remarried or to find a, a roof over her head, so she's going to end up in prostitution. So God says, if you give her the bill of divorcement in her hand, she then has the legal right to remarry. So when someone sees her, finds favor with her, she has the bill of divorcement, that says she is a woman that is able to remarry. That's the key to the bill of divorcement. So, where's the confusion? Why would somebody put a wife away in that culture, but not give that former wife a bill of divorcement? Well, uh, Jesus nailed it. He said, because of the hardness of your hearts, because of sin. A man could put a woman away or say, I don't want you anymore, I want another wife, and then uh, he could keep her on the side. I mean, she's going to need food, clothing, room, and board, and he could have his way with her as a woman. Again, look in Jewish society today. Uh, there are women who have been seeking divorce from abusive husbands for 10, 11, 12 years, and they won't give it. And they become basically a slave to a bad marriage. And again, that's why God allows divorce and put it in the law code for the victim of abusive situations. This, it, it, see, this is where there's a lot of clarity that, that begins to come. You know, uh, Tim, one of the first thoughts that came through my head um, when my ex decided she was going to walk out on our marriage mm-hmm. was, does this disqualify me from right. ministry? Do I just have to lay it down because I have failed here? And in my case, God was like, Daniel, absolutely not. We have business to do. As a matter of fact, after that happened, um, Bride Ministries exploded and has not stopped. I mean, just absolutely 
increasing in influence and reach and scope and depth of what we are able to offer people, it's been profound. It was almost like uh, taking out the... the <laughs> I hate to say it this way, but it was like there was a clog in the pipe. And it's when that happened, it's like it came out and everything began to flow. Well, this the reality is um, I didn't know where I stood on divorce. All I knew is yeah. that I had seen other people that had gone through it. Things happen out of their control. People walk out on marriages. There's, there's nothing you can do about that as the individual but say, well, God, what do we do from here? Um, but then you get to this passage in Malachi chapter 2, and it says, well, God hates divorce. And you're like, well, what do I do with that? Tim, what do you do with that? Well, we go to the Word of God, and we look at the words that are used in Hebrew. And uh, Malachi 2.16 says, For the Lord, the God of Israel saith that he, and again, I'm reading King James so that you'll get the correct translation. God says, he hateth the putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously or deceitfully. Understand the context of Malachi. He is speaking to the priests, and when he's speaking to the priests, they were putting away the wives of their youth, as he, claim, as he declares to them, for younger women, basically. They're tired of the woman they got. They're putting away the wives of their youth, the women they married when they were young, had kids with, and they're putting them away for someone else. And God is directly talking to their sin and saying, I hate the putting away of wives. Why? It's treachery. It's abusive. You're covering your act with violence of your garment, of your covering. Here's the issue. These priests in Malachi were putting away without a bill of divorcement. So their wives could not remarry, could not find uh, room and board and a life uh, apart from their husband. And God says, I hate that. He's not saying, I hate divorce, because God would therefore be contradicting himself. Because, hey, newsflash to everybody, God divorced Israel. God is a divorcee. Let me, let me back up that statement. Okay. Jeremiah... Okay, Jeremiah 3 8. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I put her away and gave her a bill of divorcement. He even followed his own law. He cast Israel out, right? The Assyrians came and took her. And he said, I gave her a bill of divorcement, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went on and played the harlot. Isaiah 50, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Uh, behold, your iniquities have sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Hosea 2.2, 2, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Uh, let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of the sight and the adulteries. So God himself gave a bill of divorcement to Israel, and put her away. You know, before hearing you, Tim, I 
would read over that every time. Mm-hmm. It's like you see these words there, but there's no context. Right. Why does it say gave her a bill of divorce and put her away as two separate things? You know, you don't right see on. it like that. Without right on. it being that's explained. essential. Yeah, you're right on, Dan, and that's essential. And this is the crux of the teaching of Jesus when the Pharisees came to try to trick him or dispute him. Hmm. And so we'll get to that in a minute, but that's key. Now, if God hates divorce in Malachi, he's got a problem because he's contradicting his own law and some an action he himself took. Let me also stress, God in some instances commanded divorce. In Ezra, when the Israelites uh, married uh, from the tribe they were not supposed to intermingle with, Ezra commanded them according to God. In Ezra 10.3, he says, Let us make a covenant with our God to put away all of our wives, and such are born of them according to the counsel of the Lord and those that tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. So they unlawfully, Israel was not supposed to intermingle with Moab or Canaanites and so forth, and the, this group with Ezra and Nehemiah did. Ezra said, we're not going to be blessed of God because we disobeyed the law. Let's, we must put these women away. We must divorce them according to the law and cast them out, put them away. So God commanded divorce in some situations. So, you know, we talk about divorce as as this really bad, evil thing, and the Church has, has dealt with people, uh, casting them out of their churches, telling them they can't participate in sacraments, um, saying they're done in ministry, when many times people are broken and devastated that they've been abandoned or in a broken relationship, and God has actually given them something redemptive to restore them, but the Church has failed to properly use it. That is so fascinating um, that you bring up Ezra 10.3. And you know, this is why it's fascinating to me, because we have a lot of survivors that listen to this program. Yeah. And some survivors are getting saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's like, oh my gosh. There's a, a, a sudden awareness of the world that they live in. Mm-hmm. Um, they begin to wake up to the reality that their marriage was put together by the cult that they were born into. Yeah, wow. Maybe their husband or wife is a high priest. Their kids wow, yeah. are being completely compromised. Right. And they are told, you can't leave. Um, Otherwise, the church will turn their face to you. So immediately, a double bind. You're trapped. Right, exactly. Exactly. When, in fact, God has designed a way of escape uh, that he honors, actually. To the extent that, at times, it can be so bad, God would command it. Wow. Right, right. So when the kids are being sexually compromised, and I mean, I, I would assume that that kind of falls into that category. Yes, exactly it does, for the uncleanness, for the unclean thing. Absolutely, or for pornea. Those are definite reasons for divorce. 
get them to safety. Hmm. You know, it, it, it's, it's just wild. And I know, like, Tim, I, I've even heard people like, so, so far off base. It's like, uh, you know, Catholics, which the, the theological differences between Catholicism and Christianity, I'm not even going to get into that right here. All, all I'm going right. to say is I know Catholics that have been so fearful of divorce they will go so far as to get separated and live with another person like they are married without ever severing their marriage because of the fear of, you know, being kicked ostracized, out, ostracized, yeah, by their, by whatever their have you. What is, and, and that's a spirit of religion. That's so sad because they're just binding themselves to a greater sin of living now in adultery, uh, you know, it's compounded by religious uh, abuse uh, and bad teaching. Um, that's not what God had intended. Now, of course, let's, and, and I always want to, you know, put a, a break into this discussion always so people understand that God's heart in a covenant and in a marriage is that it shouldn't be broken. But if two people would commit to the Lord Jesus Christ, he can heal, restore, mend uh, a marriage. So we're not giving permission to divorce in the sense that um, it is permissive by God's law, but it's not his best. His best is one man, one woman living together and understanding the power and beauty of covenant. Now, that's the optimum, but that doesn't happen in life all the time, and so people fall into a victim situation. So I, I just want to keep putting that out there. So to kind of summarize up to this point, um, there is a scriptural difference between putting someone away and divorcing them. And so when God divorces Israel, he both puts Israel away and gives them a bill of divorce and when it people quote Malachi and say God hates divorce he, what actually is happening is that God is hating putting away as in you can't get divorced and now you are bound and basically becoming a, a woman on the side so to yeah, speak yeah exactly exactly oh wow so, so uh, let me just go a little deeper with this issue of God divorcing Israel. Yes, please. Uh, according to the law, you can divorce a wife, and if she does not remarry, you can restore that relationship and marry her again. Israel has not remarried another God. You know, this is spiritualizing the relationship between God and Israel. Israel didn't go marry another God. So... God can restore his covenant with Israel uh, because she hasn't remarried, if you will. But he did. He, he divorced her, gave her a bill of divorcement, and put her away. Now, we don't even know where those ten tribes are, right? They're, you know, yeah. there's all sorts of Who ideas, knows? Lots of yeah. theories, brother. <laughs> right. Lots of theories. But anyways, God will restore. But... I just want to put that out there in case some people say, yeah, but what about the promises that God's going to restore Israel again in the last days and this and that? Well, he can. 
but it doesn't deny that he divorced her. He did properly divorce her according to the law. And this issue with Malachi, in context to the priests, read you know the, the chapters in Malachi, and this will illuminate it and understand why he's speaking to their abusiveness as the priesthood. They're setting a wrong uh, leadership order in Israel as priests, as simply putting away their wives and getting younger ones, and God condemns them for that. And they're even abusing how they're using the, the tithe in uh, for the temples. And the, that's his issue with the priests in Malachi. But here's the statement. So many people say God hates divorce, and if I'm divorced, then does God hate me? And And that goes to the core of people's pain. Yeah, it does. And they're stuck in a bad marriage. They're stuck in a bad situation. Their marriage has failed. They're 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 divorced. Their their mate is moving on without them. And they love Jesus, but they're broken and they feel if God hates divorce, I'm divorced. He must hate me. And that's such a trick of the enemy, because of a wrongly interpreted word. The word is shalak. It means putting away. He hates the putting away because of its treachery. Um, so that's the key. Now, let's take that and bring it now into the issue of what they came to ask Jesus. Mm-hmm. In Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, it says, The Pharisees came to him, tempting him. So in other words, they want to trip him up. They want to test him. They want to see where he stands. Let me give you a little background behind this. In Israel, at this time with Jesus, you've got two schools of thought concerning divorce and remarriage. You've got the great rabbis Hillel and Shema, and they stand on two different opinions. One's very liberal, one's very conservative. Hillel said... You could put away a wife if she burns your eggs. If you're tired of her, if she's fat and ugly now, get another woman. Shema was much more conservative towards what the law says, and there must be a bill of divorcement and so forth. So they come to Jesus. They want to know, where are you at with this whole marriage divorce thing? And so they ask Jesus, they're tempting him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause. And the King James properly renders the uh, Greek word apulo, which means shalach in Hebrew, the putting away. And uh, it's clearly translated, that word means to put away. It's used 18 other times uh, uh, concerning marriage and 76 times that simply means to separate from. Very clear use of the word. And he says... The, the, the Pharisees say, is it lawful for a man to put away Apulo, his wife, for every cause? Can I kick her out for any reason? He answers and says, have you not read that he which made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. That's covenant. They're to be in covenant. Wherefore, they're no more two, but one flesh, and what God's joined together, let no man put asunder. Now, Jesus is simply reiterating the design of covenant and marriage. 
he's he's telling them he's not going to be baited into a conversation of for what reason can I get rid of my wife he's going to go to the to the um the principle that in God's economy with his spirit and in his uh kingdom there shouldn't be a divorce there should be covenant let's uphold covenant and so he's going back to the original design so they're not satisfied with that in verse 7 they go on and then they say well then why did Moses command to give a writing or a writ of divorcement and to put her away so now they change their point from simply putting her away to now expressing the law and saying the two-part process a bill of divorcement and the putting away Jesus then answers them according to the law, and he says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, or in other words, sin, has suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And so I say to you, whoever shall, Apulo, put away his wife, in other words, discard her, except it be for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery, and whosoever marries her that is put away commits adultery. Now, that makes complete sense in agreement with the law. Because if you simply put away a woman, now, he's, you remember the original question, can I put her away for anything? Mm-hmm. He says, now, it's because God allowed divorce in the law with a writ of divorcement, then the putting away. But if you put away a woman, except for fornication. You find her in, a, in fornication. He uses the word pornea. Now, let me ask you this, Dan. If she was caught in adultery, what would happen to her according to the law? Well, she'd be stoned, and so it's an automatic yeah. death sentence. Right. So there's your divorce there. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> really know. interesting. No, go ahead. Go for it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the point. I mean, if she's caught in adultery, she would be put to death. He uses the word pornea, except for pornea, sexual, some sexual issue here that she's caught in. You could, you could cast her out. That would be her punishment. You could put her out and, uh, for fornication. But he says if someone marries someone who's simply put away or put out, with, and the context is without that bill of divorcement, you're committing adultery because they're, they don't have the writ of divorcement to prove that they've been divorced and allowed to remarry. So if you marry someone who's simply put away, in other words, you stay away from those women or those people who are put away because they were put away for a sexual sin, some pornea issue that they were cast out for. You know, it's so interesting, but yet in other translations, this will actually read divorce. Yeah, which is, in my opinion, really a sad exegesis of of what this cultural and grammatical historical context is is actually saying in the Greek. So, let me ask this: If if you're going to relate this to the laws we have in the United States to draw some yeah. parallels, what would yeah. how does that play out? Well, real simple. If a woman separates from her husband and you marry her, it's bigamy. You're, you're, you're marrying a married woman because she's simply separated and she doesn't have the legal document of divorce. 
It's the same thing. It's that simple. And we all get that. Yeah, actually, it makes a lot of sense. But we don't translate it properly, and the church messes it up. And with this, Dan, with this, what we now are saying is Jesus contradicts the law of God. Because in the law, if it's simply divorce, Deuteronomy told us that if you get divorced, you could remarry. Now Mm -hmm. Jesus changes that, and people say, well, yes, because there's a higher standard for the kingdom of God. But it's, it's not saying that, it's saying that the law was wrong. If we translate it that way. Sure. But instead, when we look at it this way, everything lines up. There's like absolutely no schism. Exactly. There's a harmony here. Uh In fact, let me me read you a a footnote. Uh, The Geneva Bible that uh, was translated in 1560, that's about 50 years before the King James Bible, had in its margin a note next to this statement in in Matthew 19. The term putting away is a use for the Hebrew word shalak, which means she was not lawfully divorced. So even a note in the Bible, the Geneva Bible, translated it and got it right. But for some reason, the church has put this unpardonable sin on divorce and misinterpreted Jesus's response to a question about the law and how to properly put someone away or not because if you don't do it properly you're committing adultery now some people say that Jesus and Paul are at odds that Paul had a, a different gospel one of the areas is the area of, of marriage and some of the things that Paul relates on this subject. It's yeah. left certain people scratching their heads as to, well, how do you reconcile what Jesus says in, in Matthew 19? And of course, we, we begin with a false understanding of Matthew 19 as it is. Right. Um, right. How do we reconcile that with some of the things that Paul said? What, what can you say about that? Well, let's go to Scripture. Let's see what Paul said. And again understanding what Jesus is saying in harmony with the law, that not one jot nor tittle passes away, and that he came to fulfill it, not to destroy it. You see the harmony. Now, what about Paul? Is Paul changing it, or is Paul upholding it? Now, remember, we began this conversation saying Paul knew that the law was good, and uh, so... uh, Paul's not out to demolish the law. He sees it as a tutor unto Christ. So let's look at Romans 7, verses 1 through 4, and see what Paul says in that portion of Scripture. Now you know, now uh, know ye not, brethren, uh, for I speak to them that know the law, he's speaking to the Jews, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he lives. But if the husband is dead, she's loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, and she marries another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she's free from the law, so she can now uh, marry another man. 
And people say, see, you can't marry someone else as long as your husband's alive. No, that, that's not what this is saying. This is a simple, Romans 7 is simply expressing uh, the law and our obedience to the law until we die to the law, then we're free from it. And he's expounding how when we die in Christ, we've now become free from the law. And he uses the example of marriage. And he says the woman has a husband. She's bound to that husband as long as he's alive. Now, if her husband's alive and she marries another guy, of course she'll be an adulteress. She's already got one husband. She can't go marry another guy. But if her husband's dead, she can. This isn't a treatise on divorce and remarriage. This is a treatise simply on if you have a husband, you can't marry another one. That's all it's saying. <laughs> Tim, 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 Tim. Hold on. How does it happen, though, that so many people have turned to this passage and used it to create an idea that everybody that gets divorced is now all automatically condemned? Just, well, yeah. I mean, Dan, when, you, when we read this verse, is there any statement of divorce or separation in it. No, 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 no. There's not. Not at all. It's simply, what we do is we overreach. They take a bad translation of Jesus' teaching, transpose it onto this, and uh, say that's what it means. Paul, again, is simply talking about how you uh, end one covenant and enter another, and it is through death, highlighting how when we come to the cross, we are put to death on the cross with Christ. We are therefore dead in Christ to the law and now live under Christ with the law of God's spirit of life in us. So he's only using it as an illustration. Marriage is a perfect example. You don't go marry someone else when you marry to one person. That would be adultery. You can't get out of that covenant by simply marrying another person. Now, he, if he would go into the issue of the law concerning divorce, he could explain to you how to properly do that. My, my, my. All right, Tim. Now, I, I have to bring up 1 Corinthians chapter 7, because this one's just really, really huge. Because okay. this is a passage that, that essentially comes out and says, look, if a, if a woman leaves her husband, she just has to be single, according to some understandings, or be reconciled to the first guy. That's it. I mean, you know, women, if you get married, good luck. It's over if you want God to love you, you know, quote unquote. And um, I, I, I want to turn you loose on 1 Corinthians chapter 7 because this one has uh, flabbergasted a lot of people. And, and for a long time, myself included, I, I didn't really know what to do with it. I was like, man, <laughs> maybe God just likes men more than women. Like, I don't know. Right. Right. <laughs> Go ahead, well, Tim. Well, okay, let's let's read it again and in, in its simplicity. First Corinthians seven, ten to fifteen, and unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart, and the word in Greek is separate, let her not separate from her husband. But and if she departs, in other words, she takes off, she leaves him. There's no mention of divorce here, she's she's splitting. She's running away. Let her remain unmarried or be reconciled, get the statement, to her what? To her husband. 
Okay, this isn't talking about divorce. She's leaving her husband, deserting, separating her husband, and if she does, man, this is really simple, Dan. If if a woman leaves her husband, can she? What what would happen if she goes marries another guy? She'd commit adultery, right? Because she's still married. She just separated. <laughs> she just left him. And Paul says it's her husband. So either don't get married. If you walked out of a marriage, he's not talking divorce. If you walked out of a marriage, you can't get remarried. So you either either stay unmarried or you need to get back with your husband. And then he says to the husband of this person whose wife walked out on him, um, let not the husband put away his wife. In other words, give God a chance to restore the marriage. But you just can't kick her out either. So there's got to be the ability for reconciliation. Now, let me go on and, and look at verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife that believes not, and she's pleased to dwell with him, let, uh, and she's pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and, is, and if he is pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Okay, so you've got a woman who gets saved, the husband's not saved, and, and he's all right with her being saved, then you need to stay in that marriage. That's what Paul's saying. Or if you have someone who's not saved and, uh, you know, the unbelieving spouse, in other words, he's just saying, you don't leave that marriage, you stay in it, and you don't abandon it. And he goes on, and the woman which has a husband that believed not, and if he's pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him, verse 15, but if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So if you become abandoned by a, a mate, you are free from that marriage. Then he goes on further down. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. But if you marry, you've not sinned. Hmm. So most of what Paul's talking about is the, the statement in 1 Corinthians 7 is about a woman who leaves the husband. And, yeah, of course, she may have left the husband, and he goes into greater detail because maybe she got saved and this guy's a wretch, and, and she walks away from him. Well, if you walk away from him, you know, you're still bound to him. You've got to do this properly and pray, and hopefully God can restore your marriage. But if he's willing to loose you and you go, then you're no longer bound. Does that make sense? That is so straightforward and simple. Yeah, it really is. Hey, you want to hear something really straightforward and simple? When Jesus called the Pharisees and the Jews of his time, um, you adulterous generation. Mm -hmm. Why do you think he called them an adulterous generation? I really want to know your answer, Tim. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> reply. 
<laughs> you know, it's one of those questions that I'm waiting for him to answer. Um, good answer, Dan. Here's, here's the thing. We all go back to the Old Testament and say, oh, well, adulterous generation, they were going after other gods, they were going after idols. Yeah. The Jews during Jesus' time weren't. The, hmm. the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they weren't going after idols. Why did he call them an adulterous generation? Do you know why? Real simple. They were adulterers. They were swapping out wives continually. They were constantly abusing divorce so and putting away. They this, were constantly putting away. This wasn't something that was just being done by people in general. It was also being done by the religious leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you look at historical documents, you'll see that the Roman government had such a problem with Jews um, putting away women that they finally had to make some laws to govern it because they were that unruly. And, and Jesus calls them out on it. And he says, you're constantly putting away wives. And that's, again, the re this is an issue in Israel. This whole adultery issue and this sexual... I mean, look at Peor. Look at throughout the whole Old Testament. There's constant sexual immorality in Judaism. And that's why God says, I hate the putting away. You're just propagating the sexual infidelity of women being put out, and it's a mess. And that's why Jesus says, God didn't ordain it this way from the beginning. A covenant is a covenant. A marriage should be good. But if it fails, do it properly so that there's order in the land and that there is a bill of divorcement and the right to remarry, but don't have this running away, this abandonment, and these multiple situations. God's got an order and a design for everything. Uh, okay. Um, th this clears up so much, Tim. Now, there are entire denominations in the body of Christ, and we'll just leave it at that, that basically say, if a person is not married to the first wife that they have married, they are unfit for ministry. They cannot minister in that denomination, period. Now, of course, uh, I don't agree because I literally cannot agree and not be a hypocrite mm -hmm. because of the way God's you know, dealt with me based on what I've walked through. Well, yeah. um, here's the thing, Tim. Where does that idea come from, and how do you respond to that? Well, uh, the key portion of Scripture that that comes from uh, is in the requirements of an elder. Mm -hmm. um, when you read in Scripture that the elder, the bishop, the overseer, uh, or as we would call it, the pastor, um, must be the husband of one wife. And uh, that passage people have tried to interpret, and um, it's in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 2. And it says, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And so they say, see, look at, if a man divorces and remarries, he's got two wives because he's committing adultery because he's remarrying. So we go back to the mistranslation of Matthew 19, and we transpose it to this portion of Scripture. Um, 
and and that's really a poor rendering of the scripture um, because again according to the law if you divorce you have the right to remarry and you only have one wife then the one that you're presently married to right so um, what does it mean then the husband of one wife so basically they're saying that's that's uh, he can't be a divorced person I think that's a very poor translation um, let me again let's go to the simplicity of it in the Greek there is a the word for husband and wife is the same Greek word for man or woman so either you use the word man or woman or you use husband or wife it's a matter of the context that you're using it in so another way to translate first Timothy 3 2 is this that a man should be uh, the man should be um, of one woman in other words a one-woman man and when you align it with the character of a shepherd he shouldn't be a womanizer he should have eyes for one woman his wife he should be a one-woman man uh, because if you translate it he should be the husband and one wife you now we're talking polygamy mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and and so pastors shouldn't have more than one wife well then does that give permission for other Christians to have more than one wife it doesn't make sense the best way to translate this portion in first Timothy 3 2 is this that he should be a one-woman man. So we've got pastors that have eyes for other women. They're flirting. They're they're you know they're not fit. But we disqualify men who were maybe failed in a marriage or their wife walked out on them, and they've always been a one-woman man. And let's say they remarry or they stay single, whatever God chooses and whatever they walk with, and they stay honorable to that. We say no, you're not fit. But we honor King David, we honor all the you know Old Testament saints, and you could have someone who commit a murder but get gloriously saved, and, and he's okay, but I'm sorry if you've been divorced, you're disqualified from ever being used by God again. It makes no sense. Wow. Tim, um, th- this is why I had to have you on my program. Folks, the thing is, there's a lot of things that we go through on this earth. It's tough down here, and we all go through it. And sometimes we are bound up or frozen because we just don't understand God's Word. There are people that are trapped in really bad situations because they don't understand God's word. There are people that are sitting on the sidelines that have been told sit down and be ineffective because of misunderstandings of God's word. And I believe that God's raising up an army, really, truly. I believe that God has business that he wants to get done in this earth and that he needs everyone that is on the sidelines for illegitimate reasons. And, and here, in the context of this, you know, let's just, let's just say it squarely. People that have sat down, sat on their hands because they felt disqualified. Um, right. God does redeem. And, um, you know, Tim. You nailed it. 
I mean, that's the thing, Dan, you nailed it. We have to go to the character of God. And this whole teaching on divorce and remarriage isn't the character of God in redemption Hmm. and forgiveness and restoration. It's the one part of the church, maybe there's more, but it's that one area of the church that is so condemning and so contradictory to the nature of God, it, it doesn't make sense. And that's why, for me, for many years, I didn't understand how does this work with the character of God, where he's so redemptive in every other realm except that. Oh, wow. You're, you're right. You're right. You're 100% right. Because in some denominations, Tim, it's it's a reality that you could be an ex-murderer or an ex-murderer, get saved and be cool. Oh, yeah. We, we want you to come speak on our platform because you've got an amazing testimony. But if you had someone who says, you know what, my ma- marriage failed and uh, I was broken, and uh, even, let, let me put it to you this way, Dan. Mm-hmm. Now, this, mm-hmm. this uh, I may get people shut me off at this point, but I know men who have confessed to failing in their marriage, and it was their fault. Sure. And they have fully repented. They've seen the error of their way, fully f- failed and repented to the Lord. And... God uses them mightily, but yet certain denominations would never use them. I'm glad God decides who he's going to use instead of church hierarchies. Hmm. Amen. I mean, are we, uh, is, is this the unpardonable sin? Why didn't God say blasphemy of, of the Holy Spirit and divorce? Now, I want to ask you this. Was your study into this whole subject um, just primarily the result of having to counsel people in your own congregation? Or was there even more significant reasons why this came full circle to you? You just said, you know, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to really, truly get to the bottom of this. It, It truly was. For the sake of my congregation, as a as a pastor, um, my heart uh, is really to to heal and mend. And let me put this out there so nobody thinks that I'm trying to create a scenario for myself. Um, I'm celebrating next Monday my 35th wedding anniversary. Oh, praise God! Uh, yeah, we've been married 35 years. I've been pastoring 25. We have four children raised, grown, and all married, and uh, pastors' kids that, here's the miracle, they still love Jesus and love the church. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it's not that I had to create a doctrine for myself, and I'm, I, I just want people to understand. I have a heart for marriage. I have a heart for people. And I, I had to, any pastor knows this, you have to counsel broken people, broken marriages, sin pervades every area. And, and the number one area the enemy wants, if the enemy wants to destroy a church, he will destroy the homes first. You want a healthy church, you've got to create healthy homes or healthy families or healthy marriages. 
So for me, it was particularly to understand God's heart with this issue of divorce and remarriage. Now, from there, this I, the series you have, I preached on a Sunday morning. It's gone out around the world. It's gone to Africa. It's gone to China. It's gone to California. A pastor uses it out there. It's gone to Florida. It's gone a lot of different areas, and I get messages back of how much this has set them free. But this is not my teaching. Uh, I didn't discover this. This is out. Uh, many men and women of God are teaching this uh, out uh, in the world. You, you just have to start doing the research. You'll see it out there. Uh, I am no way am, uh, got this revelation. Well, you certainly did an outstanding job articulating it. Let, let me end with this um, before we close, Tim. When it comes to, okay, redeeming a, a troubled marriage, what are some general key factors that you find um, repeatedly coming up, effective approaches of nuggets that you would like to leave people with that are listening to this. Maybe maybe they have a spouse who also loves the Lord. Things are just yeah. not working out. And they're like, oh, yeah. uh, we, we're really thinking about divorce here. What would you leave them with as nuggets? Like, well, here's the redemption. Divorce doesn't have to be the way out. There, there is hope. For your situation, because you have two people that love the Lord, what do, what do you what what are some points? Yeah, you know it's interesting. I I just I worked with a couple for three years, both um, believers, strongly wanting to grow in Christ, and they still uh, it's it didn't make it. Their their marriage still didn't make it, and and it it breaks my heart. Um, and the reason is uh, sin flesh. Um, we're not communicating. You know, Dan, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, share a couple principles, but um, I'm writing a book right now on covenant love. I have five covenant principles that if we practice these five covenant principles, we will be able to uh, restore and live a successful marriage. So that's a plug for you to get me on again and share that <laughs> with your people. <laughs> But uh, here's the key. Uh, it's, it, w let's go to simplicity, right? It's the cross, dying to self. Self is the enemy of covenant. If the two are to become one, you can't be self-oriented. So you must die, and the cross is this, the emblem of that. And uh, through the cross comes the power of resurrection life. So the biggest problem with each other is that we are still self-motivated, and much of our conflict comes from a lack of communicating, and uh, so those are two key nuggets that we've really got to work on, and I'd love to go into it further with you. Okay. Well, you know what, um, folks, there's a book coming out. You're going to have to finish the book, Tim. That's all I could say. You got, you got to finish the book. Um, does Tim Tyler have a book? Unfortunately, folks, um, he doesn't. But he does have a website at www.c3roseville.org. And at their website, you, you can find out about their church, obviously. 
most of you that listen to this program will not be local in the Michigan area to be able to attend, unless you happen to be flying through. But he does have sermons that post to his website if you want to listen to whatever he happens to be talking about right there. Um, Tim, did you want to give any other uh, thoughts or insights before uh, we close out? You know, Dan, could I pray for those who are listening that have been just broken through divorce? Absolutely. All right, let let me pray for them. Father, as we speak now and as we've shared this message, you're a God of redemption. You're a God of hope and of promise. You're a God of restoration. And Father, where someone has been broken and where someone has had a failed marriage, you're not done with them. You speak life to them, and you speak resurrection power. Where they were wrapped up and put in a tomb, you cry into that tomb, come forth, and remove the stone that hindered you, and unwrap the new life God's given you, and be faithful to God, and he will restore life and ministry and relationship to you again. This is God's promise to you, and may you hear this, Uh, under the unction of the Holy Spirit to find your life renewed and restored no matter what you've been through God will bring life to you be blessed Amen Amen. thank you so much folks that's all we have for this week and you know what until next time God bless and Godspeed Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.